Killer, killer, dipset, uh-huh. Check my stats, man. 78 I got to be the best living, man. You already know. Uh, like Alex Trebek, you're in jeopardy. Yes, sir, we got the recipe. Give you a tech, but nope, not a referee. Like why Clef, I'm a refugee. Broly wear cocky, don't play hockey, but have your mom and Goldie gear. See the ice, grab the stick. Welcome, 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 welcome. You're now tuning to episode two of the SFG Sports Podcast. A lot of topics to get into today. We're going to break down the Clippers' loss and what they need to do to improve their team. We're going to talk about the outlook of the West Finals. Also, we'll get into a look of the Celtics and Heat, talk about game two and moving forward. And then we'll talk about the kind of topic I thought that was hot today, that broke today, uh, the Maya Moore and Jonathan Irons story. And then lastly, we'll get into some music topics. We'll talk about verses and, and what I would like to see next and the recommended music of the weeks. So without further ado, let's get, let's get right into it, man. So the Clippers, man. I, like everybody else, right, I was like everybody else, man. I had the the Lakers and Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. And to to my much, not really dismay, because I didn't have any money on it or a dog in the fight per se, just besides just wanting to be right, the the Nuggets were able to beat them out. Um, And and if you look at it from just a, a holistic perspective, the Denver Nuggets beat the Clippers because they were a better cohesive basketball team. They had, it didn't have anything to do with talent. Um, it didn't have anything really to do with X and O's, even though there's a couple things that I'm going to get into here shortly um, on, on the court that I saw. Um, it really just came down to a team that knew how to play together, that trusted each other more, that was, was hungrier to win. And they were able to come out there and get the and get the job done. Whereas if you look at the Clippers, you know there wasn't any real uh, cohesion with everybody as a whole um, from from a teammate perspective. Um, and so I would say Denver is in that. You know, I, the Clippers have more talent. The D- Denver just was a better team, right? Um, so the issue with the Clippers to me is the fact they did not have a true point guard to help them when they got into ruts offensively to be able to find guys' shots. If you look at how that team was ran, they really got the ball to to, to, to Kawhi on his sweet spots, whether it be on the elbow, mid, post area, high post area, where he liked to really get into his, get into his jab step series and get into his one-on-one series. And then... They would let Paul George get into some screen and roll game. They would get basically a, a drive and kick basketball team and a pick and roll dominant basketball team, which is fine, right? A lot of NBA teams do that, but the difference for the Clippers was that when the going got tough, there was nobody that that could just really say, "Okay, let me get the ball, let me come off the screen here, and I'm a, I'm gonna run this action so that way I know that I know the opposite the opposite wings gonna have to help off for me when I collapse the defense. Let me get let me get Paul George an easy an easy ready made bucket. Let me let me get Kawhi Kawhi Leonard an easy an easy bucket because it's going hard for him to double in him. Let me get let me get, let me get inside and get just an easy layup for Zubat. Let me let me get something easy for Montrez Harrell. There was really nobody who was on that team that's that has a want to set the table right 
So when you look back at what happened with Boston when they microwaved their championship over over a summer like the Clippers were trying to do, that Doc Rivers was able to leave. He had he had actual leadership on the court in Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen. Those guys were actual leaders. They were vocal. And you had a point guard in Rajon Rondo that all he lived to do was to call plays, get get guys involved, get guys touches, and and run the team. He didn't care about scoring or anything like that. And when you look at what the Clippers were lacking, they were lacking a guard that can knock down the open jumper and run the team. And this is really not a referendum on Patrick Beverly per se, um, but that's Patrick Beverly is not a traditional point guard in the sense of he's going to run your team, he's going to run your action, and lead you on both sides of the floor. He's a... He's a really good role player that can fill a role, but I don't think anybody that's watching would say, yo, Pat Bev is the type of point guard that you want to be your starting point guard on a championship team to run your show. Because if you look at what happened to them offensively the last two games, the offense bogged down, the shots got harder, everything was predictable, and because of that and, and Denver got going defensively, it was a wrap. It, it, you know, and it, and it just snowballed on him. The fact that Joker is so big, he played a heck of a series, man. I mean, I'm I'm so impressed with him. It's been an argument whether or not he's the best best five in the league. I think he's he's staked his claim right now as the best five in the league. I don't as for as for as talented as Joel Embiid is, he he's inconsistent in terms of being able to win and be dominant all the time. Whereas you know what you're going to get from Jokic day in and day out. And the level of passing, I mean, he's able to do the ball movement that Denver had. Denver beat them offensively because they were willing to move the basketball. After Michael Porter said what he said, you notice, you know what I'm saying, his impact might not have been the best, but they they started moving the basketball to a higher degree and shots started coming easier for guys. Um, Paul George couldn't do nothing with Jamal Murray. And the reasoning is once you once you get going and get in the rhythm for moving in basketball, everybody's touching it, everybody has a feel, everybody's involved, that now your now your main players can eat easier because you have to respect everybody on the floor. And that's that's the interesting part about what Denver Denver did. So in my opinion, in my opinion, right, Doc Rivers should be on the hot seat going into the next season. Now, I don't think he should be fired after this season. I think with COVID-19 and the way the season kind of kind of messed up, there wasn't really an opportunity to gel. But you can't not get out of the second round with that roster there. Because even with all that I said about Denver, the Clippers weren't supposed to lose this series. Let's be clear. Between Ka- Kawhi Leonard level of play, Lou Williams level of play, and the rest of the role players level of play, they should have been able to win the series. Now, let's get let's talk about before I get into Doc Rivers, let's talk about Paul George, right? Well, no, nah, I take it back. Let me finish my point on Doc Rivers, right? So Doc Rivers' issue is offense. And I forever believe that's always been his issue is his offensive system. When he had the big three in Boston, they ran they ran floppy actions and pick actions for Ray because he had to do that. They ran certain uh pin down plays to get Paul Pierce the ball on the on the elbows where he liked it or Paul would just go get his and at that stage in KG's career KG wasn't looking to really dominate uh in a scoring capacity offensively but they would get him some post touches when the time saw fit 
and some pick and pops mainly with Rondo. That's where he made his bread and butter was off pick and pops with Rondo. But if you look at that team, that offense ran through Rondo, and as they aged, they ran everything with Rondo, right? And so he leaves Boston. He gets the Clippers gig. They have Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, and it's the same thing. Everything was ran through Chris Paul, all of the screen and roll actions. Everything was designed between him and Blake. They would run J.J. off some pin downs and some and some floppies and some single doubles to get him some shots, and they would work the ball around that. But everything was Chris Paul paced. They never even really was unable to unlock DeAndre Jordan's immense talent. DeAndre Jordan should have been able to turn into somebody who could get you 15 points off of dunks, uh, different cuts, uh, off of dunks, layups, different types of cross-screen cuts, um, pick and rolls, different types of things where you could have unleashed some of his offensive potential. Now, granted, he couldn't make free throws, but in terms of just how the plays were run, I just, I just, you don't see a, you don't see multipleness from Doc Rivers' team. You don't see a lot of just different, different things you have to defend, and then the ball tends to get stuck in one location, and it becomes easy to defend them. That's why in the playoffs they struggle because okay, now as a coach, if I'm playing you X amount of times, I can game plan and figure out what you like, what you don't like from an offensive perspective, then now once I tune in on that, now I can force you into things because you're not throwing anything new at me because you're not that multiple offensively, right? That's what made the Warriors so hard to defend because the Warriors ran a free-flowing motion. They would mix in some ISOs and mix in a lot of a lot of screen and roll action and some veer action, but everything was pick-to-picker everybody's running off actions, everybody's moving, everybody's cutting, everybody's a threat on the floor. The Clippers didn't have that. So that's where I think Doc Rivers has to come in the offseason and, and fix some things. And he has to be, become a better leader because his two stars aren't really leaders. Kawhi Leonard is a silent assassin. He's, he, he leads by example. He's going to come in, he's going to come in and work hard. But then at the same time, he takes nights off you know, whether he's unhealthy or whatever it is with the with the rest that he needs, you know, it's hard to sometimes respect a guy that you don't relate to and you can't have conversations with. And then Paul George, um, we we respect mental health here. I mean, we understand it's a lot going on in today's world. Uh, believe you me, we, we understand and, and get that. But for you not to be able to just hit the rim on a miss at the end of a game. That means you mentally checked out. So whatever he had going on off the floor, whether he was, you know, depressed or dealing with family issues, whatever was going on in the bubble, um, it that's not an excuse for him to be able to play the way he played. He he turned it around after the first series a little bit, but he he slowly but surely, as the pressure got tighter, it got worse. You know what I mean? And, and if you ask me, Paul George hasn't been the same since he since he broke his leg in the playoffs, and he hasn't been the same since he changed his number. Ever since he changed into PG thirteen, when he gets to the playoffs, there's no such thing as playoff P, and all the jokes are well deserved. Playoff P, pandemic P, you know what I'm saying? George Paul, all of those nicknames he deserved it because at the end of the day, he didn't perform to the level that you needed to perform, and. He deserves all the criticism he's getting on Instagram because there's no way f- that he should have been that soft. You know what I mean? He wasn't He wasn't rated PG-13. He was rated G. He was a Disney movie out there, like super soft, super charming. And 
I just can't get down with that. That guy's way, way too talented. Way too talented. He was getting dogged by Jamal Murray. And so moving, moving, moving right along into the next series. Speaking of Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray is going to have to continue to his hot streak if they're going to be able to do anything with the other team in L.A., the main team in L.A., the real team in L.A., the Lakers, led by LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They're playing at a really, really high level ever since Rondo came back. I love the way he's able to get LeBron off the ball more, allow LeBron to just focus on other things, get everybody touches, get the ball moving, and get everything going. Now Caruso can play a a role that he's used to. There's not as much pressure on Caruso when he's when he's playing. I love the I love the big man rotation they have with JaVel McGee and, and Dwight Howard. They're they're a really good basketball team. And I think the matchup between them and Denver basically comes down to Denver doesn't have anybody to bother LeBron. So if LeBron decides to dominate this series, it's over for Denver. There's nobody on Denver's roster that can bother LeBron James at all period you you, you what you gonna do put Grant on him <laughs> you know what I'm saying like there's nobody there right and then Paul Millsap at the four and Anthony Davis at the four I, I believe that's a mismatch they're the Denver's greatest hope offensively is going to end up being if Joker can continue playing at a dominant level but he's going to have to take it up another level so he's gonna have to dominate JaVale McGee he's gonna have to dominate Dwight Howard he's gonna have to force double teams so now you can get the ball back moving and find Gary Harris on the perimeter for an open shot you can find Monte Morris for an open jump shot you can find you can find Grant for an open jump shot you can make shots easier for Jamal Murray because I think Jamal Murray's gonna have a different type of series in terms of matchups because they could throw bigger guards at him that should be able to make it harder. I mean, Rondo's a bulldog defensively. I think Caruso's going to work really hard defensively. Uh, when you come, you come off the bench, you got you got a guy like a Deion Waiters you could throw at him as well, just make him have to guard offensively for you know three to five minutes at a time. I don't think Deion Waiters is going to get that much minutes, but they have just multiple guys to throw him. You could put LeBron on him if you want to. You could put Danny Green on him if you want to. There's just so many things that they could throw at him, um, and he's young and, and growing and we'll see if the moment's too big for him. I think he's turning into a star or all-star level talent, but it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup sort of unfolds in terms of the way that Denver spaces the floor, how they're able to use Jokic's ability because he's such an excellent passer and that ability opens up the rest of the floor for everybody else. So, and then you got Michael Porter jr. If he steps up, he can make shots, and the more and more he matures and gets better, Denver's going to be a problem in the future. But I think Denver's just a year away, man. They're a year, 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 year and a half away from really being the team that we think they could be in terms of challenging in the in the West. Um, I think between them next year, Golden State coming back next year, the Clippers coming back next year, and the Lakers coming back next year, it's going to be really, really tough to come out of the West next year. Really, really tough. But as far as the series go, um, I really feel like the Lakers should win this in six. Um, the 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 Nuggets are hot, but I I just I just refuse to believe that if the Lakers was up three one on the Nuggets, that they was going to let the Nuggets come back and beat them like that. I just I just don't see it. I just don't see it. it doesn't add up to me. It doesn't add up to me. So, um, we're gonna go with the Lakers in six. 
and we will come back and revisit that on another episode of the pod as that goes. Uh, when I come to you guys again uh, next 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 week on the pod, we'll talk about it and see how that how that series is going. Uh, but I got the Lakers in six. Um, so going into the Lakers rival, the team the team across the way, the Boston Celtics versus the Miami Heat. Another another excellent series of basketball, and I really I really believe that this series is going to go seven. I originally had my pick coming out the East of the Boston Celtics. I really liked what Tatum was doing. I love Jalen Brown. I thought Kemba was going to be the type of leader that they needed. And he was going to be able to play clutch in the fourth quarter, and then Gordon Hayward was coming right along, going into uh, in the bubble before he got hurt. So. I liked what they was doing, and I was expecting him to come back actually now, but apparently he's he's still going to be out for another week or two, so that's going to hurt them. But I think that prior to the run Miami went on, I didn't see anybody beating Boston. So I'm still going to stick with my pick. I got Boston in seven, but Miami has been so good for one reason and one reason only in the playoffs. They are all have bought in to their roles. They've bought into their roles. And that's a really important thing on the team. What's so underestimated on a team, especially in basketball, is personal goals. Because everybody that plays ball competitively has an ego, right? And so when you have an ego and you've been, you've been, working on your game your whole life and you think you're good at something, right? And you think that you have an ability to score or you think you have an ability to shoot or, you know, you're, you feel like you're a star or whatever the case may be that can get in the way of what the team needs, right? Depending on what type of team you're on and what the coach is asking of you. So when you're playing for the Miami organization, you know, they're, they're really a rigid organization in terms of their protocols. They have expectations of guys to be able to be in shape to a high level. Guys to buy in defensively. Guys to, the guys to, to follow, the, follow the scouting reports and be locked in. And that is the reason why Jimmy Butler chose to go to Miami and left Philadelphia because of that reason. He wanted to be challenged by a coach. He wanted to have a coach with some common sense. A, co- a coach, a coach, or organization that was going to make sure guys are doing what they're supposed to do to win, and guys that are going to be able to come in there and compete. And if you look at what those guys are doing, they're coming in and competing. They're all they're all buying into the defensive. You don't you don't see a lot of defensive breakdowns on 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 them when they're playing. You don't see you don't see a lot of pointing the fingers when somebody scores. You don't see somebody just letting somebody go in for the easy lay and not contesting or going for the dunk like Bam Adebayo had the other night against against Jason Tatum. That that type of play, most guys, especially being up two, would have said, ah, let me just foul him or let me just get out the way, let him have that, we could come down and score, especially in that moment. But he was there because he had the intestinal fortitude and the will to win, and he's a dog that he went out there and, and and got the block. One of the most athletic blocks I've seen in an in NBA game, honestly, to be able to go up that high. You met you met him at, at 12 feet high in the air 
and prevented him from from tomahawking that thing down. Like that was a really really impressive play by Bam Adebayo. And so when you look at the cohesion that Jimmy has brought, Jimmy is an unselfish star. He doesn't really care about scoring. Now when his matchup is the he has the matchup that he likes, then he's going to attack it. He's going to compete and and do what he does and get to his spots. But for the most part, they run their they run their actions, they run their pin downs. They try and get their shooters open. They try and get their shooters good looks. They allow Bam to, to be a facilitator and bring the ball up some at points in time or facilitate the offense from the top of the key so they can run their they back screens and their pin downs and their back door cuts, right? And if you look at what they're able to do from that, from when they get that original action, if they don't have that first action there, the guard is coming around, receiving the ball from Bam. They're going right into another action, going right into a dribble, a dribble handoff action, or right into a screen and roll action. And the offense is continually moving. That's why Jay Crowder is getting so many good shots. Jay Crowder is getting so many good shots, and he's the person you have to help off on that team on, on most times on the floor because you don't want to tap off Tyler Hero. You damn sure don't want to help off Duncan Robinson. Excuse me. Duncan Robinson is as pure a shooter as you'll find. And he and he's a dog as well. He's coming to he's coming to knock that thing down. A lot of times you deal with shooters and, you know, there could be a, a level of uh softness to them, a level of 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 shookethness when they when they're playing against certain people. But those guys don't have that, man. Those guys are coming out and competing. And then you got a Goran Dragic coming off the bench who's playing at a really high level. And before you know it, now you're looking at a team that's in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they they might mess around and win. I mean, the momentum is on their side. Their, their, their major issue is they have a turnover problem just due to how the players on the floor are kind of built, like, Drogic has always had turnovers. And then when you look at the guys handling the ball, Jimmy Butler's not a a point guard per se. Where you wouldn't call him just the best ball handler in the world. He just knows how to play. Same thing with Adebayo. He just knows how to play. Jay Crowder, all those guys are just really good ball players. So you let them rock out and do what they do. But that's why they have those issues of where they have turnovers um, and get kind of bogged down at times but when they're all locked in doing what they're supposed to do and playing unselfishly that's why they're where they're at and because of they're so multiple defensively you got bam out of bio who could switch out on a one which is super unique for somebody who's six ten six well he's probably around six nine but i'll give him six ten right we're splitting hairs there for a guy that's six ten to be able to do what he does and, and and they maneuver him like a chess piece. Then you got Crowder who could guard one through four. You got Jimmy Butler who could guard one through four, right? And then Tyler Harrow, people talk about his offense, but he's out there strapping. Like, I got to give that kid credit. He's he's not out there being chump. He's competing defensively. And same thing with Duncan Robinson. You would think Duncan Robinson would get picked on, but he's out there competing. He's not a slouch defensively. He's not Again, he's not an all-NBA player defensively. But he's out there competing. You know what I mean? And and, and that's and that's all you really ever want. So um like I said, I, I'm still gonna stick with my pick of Boston, but as you can tell from what <laughs> the analysis I just gave you, man, I really, really like Miami. I really, really like like Miami, man. They're hard nosed, they play for each other, and they're selfless.
And speaking of being selfless, I don't know how many of you guys have been following it, but two years ago, Maya Moore, the great, the great UConn basketball player, one of the all-time greats, probably second to Diana Taurasi ever to come out of UConn. She retired from the w, w. Well, she took a hiatus from the WNBA to work on a social justice cause, and I didn't. I wasn't super duper familiar. Super duper, super duper familiar in regards to the story. Um, besides, there was a guy who was in jail that wasn't supposed to be in jail, or excuse me, in prison that wasn't supposed to be there. As you know, many people are in today's society, as we all well know, and what's going on in today's world. And she wanted to fight for his cause, so you just respect that and you keep it moving. But then the story comes out today. Uh, and we get get it at, go on Twitter, and you see a clip from Good Morning America, and they're having a conversation about it, and they announced that they were married. And you know, so you know, my I don't you know my group chat caught wind of it, and we started having discussion, and then my brain immediately went to I was like, whoa, look at God, like if you. If you think about that, that was ordained. And whether you believe in God or a higher power, whatever you believe in, it just was ordained. And that led me to the question, would you sit down or endure any, uh, a prison sentence or any type of punishment, right? That, that whatever you would deem a punishment, whether for me, for me, you know, if I had to march through the jungle and X, Y, Z, or do anything, just jump out of a, I don't know, jump out of a blimp. You know what I mean? Something, something, something silly like that. Um, or like my man did, he sat down for 23 years for something he, he didn't do that he was acquitted of. And if at the end of that, you found true love, would you do it? Right. Would you do it? Oh man, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful, beautiful question. Um, I posed it on Twitter, so I, I put it at six months. Most people said no, um, but I gotta be honest, man. If you told me I had to sit down, I had to sit in the jail for just six months, and I was gonna be blessed with the woman of my dreams, I probably would do it. I gotta be honest, I probably would do it because that type of relationship that they were able to build over, over 13, 13 years before when she met him. Cause she met him in college. Um, and then they just developed a friendship through there and she was coming on visits. And then once she, once she started taking things seriously, you know, things went to another level, but think about the type of relationship they would have been able to build over those years and how she, how she basically held, held him down. And then paused her Hall of Fame career, because let's be clear, Maya Moore wasn't wasn't just some run of the mill um, basketball player. Maya Maya Moore is the top of the top. She's probably in the WNBA. She's probably the best WNBA player of all time. I know most people will bring up Diana Taurasi and Lisa Leslie, but I mean, when Maya Moore was playing, I mean. 
she was <laughs> she was nice. So she put all that on hold, held him down, and then was able to get him out of jail. Of course, of course, if I'm him, that's like, yo, shorty, I got to put a ring on you. Like, you're not going nowhere. No way. I can't let it happen. You know what I mean? And and she said it in the in the interview. You know, she just felt that, you know, God was moving and that it was meant to be. And and that's what it is. So um, God bless God. God bless Jonathan Iris, man. I mean, he had to sit down for 20, 20, 23 years, man. That's for something you didn't do. That's that's insane, man. That's a that's tough. But I think if you asked him, would he do it over again if he knows he's gonna have a woman of his dreams and somebody who who he knows is riding for him the way she's riding for him? I think he might do it. Now I wouldn't be able to say that I'm not rocking for 23 years. That's crazy. I wouldn't want. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, but man. To be able to have to find something like that while you're going through your worst time, that's nothing but that's nothing but God, man. In my opinion, it's nothing but God, man. So, um, congrats to them on their on their union, man. And and what a what a what a great story because as we all know, 2020 hasn't had a lot of great stories, man. 2020 has just been blow after blow after blow. So I thought that was a really good story that that came out and. And uh, congrats to Maya Moore and, and Jonathan Iris on their on their uh, vows and all of that good stuff. So, um, so let's take it into so off of love, right? So we just was talking about love. Let's take that into the music, man. So another passion of mine, man. If you know me, you know I listen to a lot of music, man. I've I've always always fell in love with music, man, from the times when I was a kid, from listening to gospel music with my mom and my dad. To the jazz my dad used to play all the time, to to the oldies my mom used to play, whether it be the Commodores and 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 the OJs and all of them guys, and and then my dad loved Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes and Grover Cleveland and all that. To you know, what I mean, dealing with listening to stuff my uncle was listening to, getting exposed to the rap game, and. Just fell fell in love with fell in love with listening to music, man. So, um, so off of off of that conversation, I want to talk about the verses a little bit, man. So, I want the platform itself, man. If you look at what verses is doing for artists, right? Look at look at a Patty Labelle and Gladys Knight. Now, social media is driven by young people, by millennials, by people like us, and they were able to bring in about 6.5 million views to Gladys Knight and Patti LaBelle, right? And the current, their, their, their market share of people who've listened to their music that we would call true fans is not us. They're our parents and our grandparents, but you know, through social media and the promotion and what verses is built, of course, most of most of the culture tuned in. Um, I know myself; I had it on in the background while I was watching the football game. And I, I tell you what, man those those two queens did they think? Um, there's nothing to even discuss. That wasn't even really a verse. That was just a celebration. And I'm glad that they're alive to be able to see how much how much love people have for them. So this is a really dope thing. But the greater conversation I want to have is how verses is showing the 
the artists and people that are doing music, the the lack of need for the labels and the music industry in general, right? So this started because Swiss Beats and Timbaland were, you know, wanted to compete, right? They had beat battles and they did different things and they expounded on the idea and they kept it moving, right? And so obviously when you go into COVID-19, everybody's in the house, everybody's quarantined. So they figure out a way to give people some entertainment. And in that, right, they also figured out, oh, we're getting hundreds of thousands of views, a bunch of people tuning in. And after people are tuning in, oh, these all these artists are starting to trend on the on the charts right after right and it was no no doing of the label no doing of of any event of, of anybody in the music industry this is just our culture giving back to the people and it exploded right and so when you look at it from a musical's perspective in my opinion in terms of how people you know getting bad record contracts and I remember Brandy was saying it was a song she couldn't play just because of, you know, some contractual things and they didn't own, she didn't own the music to be able to play it. It wasn't clear to be able to play it. And the fact that you have a legacy act like Brandy who had to clear a record that she sang on, that's crazy. That's just insane to me. So a lot of these artists and stuff go through this all the time because the music industry is a pyramid scheme. And you're never paid what you're worth. You're paid what you can negotiate. And because when you're coming out of these situations coming up, most most everybody that come that coming out is broke. They offer you a a a, a deal that's more money than you ever seen in your life. You you just sign a deal, not knowing you just signed away your masters, not knowing you signed away your publishing. And now with the invention of the 360 deal, now they're going to get part of your merch. They're going to get part of your tour money. They're going to get part of everything. And so I think the wave of what you're seeing now is I think what a lot of people are going to start to realize is, man, you could just do it on your own and be independent. And if you are going to get a label deal, come into it with a partnership and make sure you you have stuff to bring to the table and put more some of your own money up once you start bringing money in off your music and put your own money up and that way you could enter a partnership with these labels and then you can have negotiating power and be able to do some things because if you look at what versus is doing i guarantee you apple wrote them a nice check to bring to bring that to the apple platform larry jackson and them guys why because they're 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 the culture they're bringing in millions of views to to the to a platform and, you know, wasn't getting anything for it. So if I would have been Instagram, I would have figured out a way to make it happen. That, But, you know, Instagram fumbled the bag. Apple came in. So you still have it on Instagram. But now you have the Apple Music side. And Apple Music is doing way more views than Instagram is doing. And it, and it speaks volumes. When, you're, when you value the culture and you treat it accordingly, you, you get, you, you receive the, you receive the benefits on on the back end. So um, I love what Versus is doing for a lot of these artists, a lot of these legacy acts. And, and 
I can't wait to see who they have next. Um, I would love to see on the R&B side, I would love to see Queen Mariah versus Queen Janet. I think, I think, I think their catalogs match up nice. I think they both have the pop elements, the R&B elements, the vocal elements. I mean, I think that would really be a, a really good back and forth. In my opinion, Mariah Carey would take that, but I'm biased. I'm a really, I'm a really big Mariah Carey fan. Mariah Carey was my first crush back in the day. So it's not really too much. You're going to really tell me about, about Mariah Carey. Um, so that's my bias that's coming out, but they obviously both are, are Queens and have, and have the catalog. So I think for far as the legends from the nineties, that's, that's why we want to kind of see for the R and B side. And then, on the rap side, I want to see Missy Elliott get in the ring. I want to see Missy Elliott versus Buster Rhymes. I think they're similar type rappers. They're really similar type rappers. Both both have both have club hits, pop hits, um, slow down records. They have everything you need. And M- Missy's pen has been over a lot of things. Her production has been there, and then Buster's career has been so long. He's been on hits after hits after hits. I think that would be a good rap battle, man, in terms of the verses. And there could be a really good back and forth. I think Missy would be comfortable. Um, there wouldn't be any cattiness. I think it'd be a really good, a really good back and forth, honestly. Um, when you look at their catalogs, you know, uh, you got the break, the breaking necks to come on. And you got the past Cavassiers, and she gonna come on with, with get your freak on. You know what I mean? Or I can't stand the rain. She got a lot of hits, so. I really think I really think that those are the battles that I want to see uh, there. Um, and then my top three verses so far, I love the Kirk and Fred Hammond battle, man. The verses, excuse me, the celebration that came at a time where in in the quarantine, I thought that was just a perfect, a perfect, a perfect, uh, a perfect Sunday afternoon, man. Uh, they they had great music, man. Uh, T.D. Jakes blessed it, blessed the whole thing, man. It was just a really good environment. So um, that was my favorite one. And I'm a gospel head, so, you know, those are my two favorite gospel artists. So I, I definitely was really tuned into that. Um, Jada Kiss and Fab was uh, my second one. Those are some of my favorite rappers. And then just the theater of it, Kiss was wildin'. He was <laughs> – Kiss Kiss was super nice on this, on the uh, <laughs> on that stage. Uh and Fab's DJ lost it for him. You can't tell me otherwise. You know what I mean? And then lastly, Teddy Riley and Babyface. I thought <laughs> I thought that was really great. In terms of after verses, like making the playlist, because every versus battle, I make a playlist. Um, you can follow me on Apple Music, J, J. Howell, too. Um, um, I make a playlist and rock out and the more the, the most I've listened to on the versus play that has been the Fred Hammond and, and Kirk Franklin and then Babyface and Teddy Riley. Um because obviously, you know, that I caught the back half of both of their primes. Um but I've always gone back and listened to the music but not to the degree that I probably should have and so that allowed me to do so so I went through their whole catalogs and I built that so I really enjoy I really enjoy that that music there, um, and I'm excited to see what they do next, man. I think it's been a really big staple in the in the entertainment culture, man. I mean, I think it's been helping everybody get through the pandemic. I know it's it's been something I've looked forward to whenever they have announced it. Um, so I'm gonna continue to look forward to it. So yeah, guys, um, 
This has been episode two of the SFG Sports Podcast. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to SFG Sports Pod on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram, J underscore Howell 2. And follow the SFG Sports Pod on Instagram. Just like I said, at SFG Sports Pod. We're at SFG Sports Pod on Twitter. At J Howell underscore 2 on Twitter. On, on Sunday, we're going to have an exclusive YouTube for my Sunday NFL picks. So make sure you check that out. On our on our next pod, we're going to have some uh, follow-up on the NFL weekend. NFL weekend, the NBA, what's been going on there. We're going to talk about some of the things we're seeing in college football right now. How, how, how the Big Ten came back. And what's going on there? What's going on with the NCAA in general? That's a whole nother that's a whole nother conversation, man. Cause I think it's time we had a real conversation about the NCAA. And before I forget, lastly, so I want to give you guys an album of the week to check out. So my hip hop fans will love this. It's called From a King to a God by Conway the Machine. A lot of classic hip hop type uh bars on there. He's really rapping, he's really talking that talk. Um it's not the weirdo rap that that we hear nowadays. So Go ahead and check that out. And uh and you know, whatever happens in during the course of the week, we'll 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 break that down and chop that up. So um I thank y'all for listening, man. I appreciate it. Make sure you share it with a friend. Um I'm trying to I'm trying to grow this platform. Um, like I said before, um I want to be able to build and include my include my include my people um and start and just start growing the platform. Uh, I think there's a absence of of a voice of of people in our in our that are like minded like us in our in our in our age bracket um, in the in the sports space in the entertainment space and you know I feel like you know we got we got a lot to offer so again man welcome to the SFG pod um, I appreciate you guys for listening and thanks for tapping into the journey remember like share subscribe all that good stuff and this has been your host Jerry Howe signing off.